Greetings, friends. Uh, before I get going, uh, just a couple of things. Number one is if you're new to Evergreen or you're just checking out God, um, the Bible describes the church, not the building, but the people as uh, the body of Christ. And we are part of the body. And our portion of the body is sick right now. Uh, we've got some personnel things going on, and we, we have a really bad flu. And we're not in critical condition, but we're hurting. And we just want to be transparent about that. Um, and number two is I'm about to give a message and it is not related in any way to what the church is going through. It's completely separate, all right? So there are no parallels to what I'm about to preach to what we are going on, all right? And then the last one, they teach you in, in speech class not to give caveats before, but I'm gonna give one now. Yesterday at four o'clock, I got the news that I would probably give this message. So I haven't had a lot of time to prepare <laughs> for what we're doing, okay? Are we all on the same page? All right, Lord, we just pray for the time. We just pray for the time right now, Holy Spirit, and just we want to learn. We want to set aside everything from our day, not just with church stuff, but with marriages and jobs and kids and whatever we're bringing to this room right now. And we just want to take literally five seconds to put those aside to be ready to hear from you. Okay, come Lord Jesus, come. I grew up skiing. Uh, I thought it was amazing that at seventh grade, my parents would put me on a bus with a friend and let me go up to Stevens Pass. This is Stevens Pass here. And I could be on the mountain, just my friend, all day long with no supervision. I thought that was incredible. And so you would have your lesson for an hour and a half each day, and then I got the day to myself, which is great. And so I started skiing and I got good really quickly. I became really good, or so I thought. Uh, so I did a few lessons for a few years, maybe four or five years, and then my parents said, why don't you uh, try racing? And I thought, that would be really fun. I wanna go fast and that would be great. And so I started racing and I'll never forget, it. it's the first day we, we set up gates. You're supposed to go around gates in, in racing. I went around the gates and I wasn't very good. And at the bottom, our, our head coach, his name was Clev Schoening and he was a, a world-class athlete. He had beat Bill Johnson for the Olympic time trials to get into the Olympics and that's the year Bill Johnson won the gold. So he could have won gold that year. He was an amazing skier. And so he pulled me aside and he said, yeah, Rick, um, you don't really know how to ski. And I was like, what? And he proceeded to tell me what was wrong about the way that I learned how to ski. And growing up, when I learned you're supposed to keep your feet close together and you're supposed to wash your tails out and it makes snow fly on either side. And, and he took me aside and said, that's not really it, Rick. And I'll never forget, he took off his ski and he told me, yeah, there's camber in a ski and he bent it and made the ski bend. And he said, your ski is supposed to bend and you're supposed to use the rail and you're supposed to carve through the snow. When you look back, you should be able to see the carve in the snow. And this was a brand new idea to me. And so I started to learn. And in racing, you do gates in the morning and then in the afternoons, you would need to go follow the coaches. On regular, when I grew up uh, doing teaching or learning, it would be a group of 10 people and the instructor would say, you work on this and you work on this and you work on this. And then you go about 50 to 100 yards and then you go down one at a time and the instructor says, okay, and you come down one at a time and you're cold waiting there. 
But in racing, they meet at the top of the hill and one coach says, Rick, you work on this, you work on this, you work on this. And then they say, all right, we'll meet you right back here at the top. And you do the whole run nonstop. And so your legs are burning when you get to the end. And then you get up to the top and they say again, okay, you work on this, you work on this, you work on this. And you do it again and your legs are burning. And then we would have to follow Clev, our coach, around the mountain. And there are three, there's three basic levels of uh, skiing. If you don't know, this isn't total, but the green one's supposed to be green circles. The next one is blue squares. And then the next one is black diamonds. And then the, the biggest one is double black diamonds. That is really tough. And Clev would take us to these double black diamond shoots that were completely icy. And you had to ski correctly on these chutes. And if you did not ski correctly, you were going to fall all the way to the bottom. It was scary. But we had to follow this guy. And my ability went like this to like this. Like I got quick, good really, really quickly because I was being pushed by a world-class athlete. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to talk about Moses today. I, I know they seem disconnected, but we'll bring it back. <laughs> Uh, I was reading through uh, in the book of Numbers, and it's Moses. And uh, if you don't know anything about Moses, we'll give a short recap of his life. The first 40 years of his life, he was in the palace, Pharaoh's palace, and he wasn't connected to God. The second third of his life, 40 years, he was in the desert, not connected to God. And the last 40 years of his life, he was connected to God. God used him to bring the people out of uh, Egypt and into the promised land. And that took 40 years to get around the, uh, I think I might have a map here. Yeah, 40 years wandering through the desert and they're almost to the promised land. And the children of Israel, the people of Israel are grumbling again. And he said, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had water then. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you some water. And he tells Moses, I want you to speak to this rock and water will come out. And so Moses struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it. And God still made water flow out. Um, but God pulled Moses aside afterwards and says, you didn't do what I told you to do. And because you didn't uh, honor me as being holy, then you may not go into the promised land. He'd spent 40 years going through the promised land, right? Yeah, here's the one. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community of their livestock drank. He spent 40 years and God says, you may not go in. And that felt harsh. And what it felt like is we have four sons, awesome Eli's son right there. And sometimes when you're in a heated argument with your son about something that's going on and you're going you're gonna to give out a punishment, you can't have your phone for a week, right? And then you walk away from that conversation and you think, a week's probably a little too much, right? You come back and you say, okay, not a week, a day. We're going to take your phone away from a day. And it felt like God was doing that. And I started to think, maybe there's something to do with this staff in his story. This is not his staff. Uh, I think I got a picture of staff. We don't know what his staff looks like. I just got a picture of a bunch of staffs here. We don't know what Moses' staffs looked like. But I started to think, hey, maybe there's something connected to Moses and his staff. I know that takes a, a good part of his story. So we're going to go toward um, Exodus 3. If you have your Bibles, you may turn. And uh, so Moses... Or God is, the children of Israel have been in Egypt for 400 years. And this is the point where God's going to draw them out. He finds his guy, Moses, and he comes to Moses, says, you're my guy. He visits him in a burning bush. And what is Moses' response? Uh, Moses, first of all, says, 
uh, well, who am I? Like, are you sure you got the right guy? And then they argue a little bit more, and he says, well, who are you? And he tells them, I am who I am. And then finally we get to um, chapter 4 here, and I'm going to read through this. It says, and Moses answers, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and, and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff. It is a staff. The Lord replied, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and you can imagine if this became a snake. Threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into his staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and then he took it out. The skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. And Moses put his hand into his cloak. When he drew it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Then Moses gives another excuse. He said, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, but I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken your servant, and I am slow of speech and tongue. At this point, you really, Moses does not want to be a part of this, right? And Moses said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is not I, said the Lord. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, uh, pardon your servant, or just please send somebody else. Like Moses is the least qualified person here, right? But just, in just 11 chapters, he's going to go from this to parting the Red Sea with confidence. How does Moses get from this to parting the Red Sea with confidence? I don't know all my notes here, but let me... Um, yeah, it says just after this, the Lord's anger burned. Can you say Burned. Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if God were to him. But take the staff in your hand so that you can perform signs with it. So what God is saying is I want to be able to speak to you and you do something, but he's not getting it. So I'm going to put somebody else in front of you. I'm going to say to you, you're going to say to Aaron, and then Aaron's going to do some things. Make sense? He's trying to teach him along. And this is mentoring. This is discipleship. My wife and I run a mentoring program. This is right in my passion. It's easy for me to talk with joy about this. Um, so I'm going to um, show some famous... Oh, these are out of order. But there you go. Okay, this is... You know, this is Jesus. Jesus had his club, Peter, James, and John. He had his 12, but Peter, James, and John were his dudes, and John was his real guy. That's the general model. We always want to turn our eyes to Jesus. But I'm going to throw some up here. If you know who both of these people are, raise your hand, okay? Both of them? Yeah, okay. How about this one? That's an updated one. We just watched this one as a family. It's a good movie. How about this? You know both of those? I don't see a lot of hands going up. What's the deal here? How about these two? Do you know these two? Yes. Famous mentoring. How about these two? This would be interesting. Anybody on this one? 
Okay. <laughs> All right, there we go. How about these two? Yes. We just watched Star Wars the first time with our young ones. How about these two? Oh, a couple, yeah. All right, we're, we're getting there. These two, I don't know, didn't know this one, but it came up on the search. Uh, and two, three more. This one, do you know both of these? They almost look like father and son, don't they? J.J. Abrams on the left. And these two? Yes, okay. And then the last one, that's uh, me. <laughs> on the right-hand side, and that's the guy who mentored me, a guy named Greg. He kind of got mentoring into my blood. I'm keeping track of our time here. So we're going to get into the story just a little bit here. And what God is going to do, as some of you know, is he's going to put some plagues in, in Israel, in Egypt. And he's going to bring about these plagues, trying to get Mo, or a Pharaoh to let his people go. And he's going to bring them about. And what Moses is going to do from that zero point, he's green circle on the, on the skiing thing, he's green circles. And God wants them to get a double black diamonds, okay? And so he starts low, and just watch what Moses done. Can anybody tell me what the, there's two pictures of Moses here. What, what is the wrong with these two pictures of Moses? Anybody know? The, what's wrong is, these, this is not Moses. We, if you've been in the Bible or church for a long time, you picture Moses doing all of these amazing miracles but he really doesn't. He doesn't do a lot of these miracles. And we're going to walk through them really quickly. The first one is the staff. These are all abbreviated. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron together, when Pharaoh says, do you perform a miracle? Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it'll become a snake. Moses did not throw his staff before, Mer before, Mer before Pharaoh. It was Aaron who did that. We, we associate it with Mo Moses, but it was Aaron who did that. Are you tracking with me? So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. So what's Moses doing? You can speak. He's just standing there paying attention like, I don't know about this. What's going on? The next one is the blood. The Lord said to Moses, tell who? Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of the Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. He raised his staff in the, Aaron raised his staff in the presence of Pharaohs and officials and struck the water of the Nile, and the water is changed into blood. Again, Moses did not do that. The fish in the Nile died. Oh, I must have missed one. Um, Sorry, editing there. Yeah, the fish in a while smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. This is frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Again, what is Moses doing? He's just observing, right? Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff. Moses isn't doing anything. <laughs> He's just sitting there. But I think if you grew up in the church, you associate Moses doing all of these things, right? But where is Moses? Is he green circle, blue squares, or black diamonds? He's still green circles, right? He does not know. He's not taking part in anything here yet. 
Strike the dust of the ground throughout the land of Egypt. The dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, the gnats came on the people and the animal and the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies. Oh, this is flies. So in the flies one... Yeah, God, he speaks and it happens. The Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace, into the house of the officials throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by the flies. This is gnats. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and the people. Not a fly remained. First time Moses is involved. All he's doing is praying. Are you tracking with me? The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the, the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. And the livestock and the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Moses is just praying. And then it's going to start getting a little different now. Then the Lord said to and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses. I should have oranged that one. Have Moses tossed it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out. So Moses and Aaron are standing there together. They both grab handfuls of soot. It's like Moses has training wheels on, right? Just getting to the point where like, are we both doing this here? What's going on? Right? And so what happens? The people and the animal throughout the... So they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses... Tossed it in the air. Can I get a cheer? Yeah. Moses tossed it in the air and festering boils broke out on all the people and the animals. Uh, keeping track of our time here. So this is it. This is Moses is God's guy from here on out. He removes Aaron. And what I want to say to you is the, the idea of mentoring. Who is mentoring you? Moses got his first mentor when he was 80 years old. So I don't care how old you are in this room. He got his first mentor. Are you being mentored by somebody in your, in your life? Usually at this point, I would tell you how important it is to disciple others, those coming behind you, and tell you that, you know, if an evangelist uh, did, you know, had 100,000 people a year give their lives to Jesus, but if the discipler just did one person each year, and that person did one, and that person did one, the discipler would overtake the evangelist really quickly. And in a matter of, I think it's 20 years, you do the whole earth. It's you just want to invest really well in one person. That's what I would usually say, but my charge today as I've been praying about this time is who is mentoring you? I don't care where you are in life, what you're doing, who is investing in you right now? What are you struggling in? Is your marriage in trouble? Are you having trouble being a good husband or a father? Are you having trouble being a good son or daughter? We're all sons and daughters, right? Are you having trouble in your business? Are you having trouble with anger, with joy? What is bugging you? We all have it, right? You all got something on your plate right now that is really digging on you, right? Do we? Can you raise your hands? If you got something, you, I don't know what it is. We're all there. But there's something in us that says, I do not need to be mentored. Oh, I can only speak as a heterosexual white male, but there is something in me that says, I don't need you. I got this on my own, right? But there is some kind of humility to say that I need help. And so years ago, I started to practice. I take every year, I ask one person, 
to mentor me for a year. And I say, I am yours for a year. You can do whatever you want. You, I will read anything you want me to read. I'll do a podcast, movies, whatever. I am yours for a year. And it usually has some kind of purpose. Two have come from this body. One was our good friend Ray Brook, who just passed this year. He was full of joy. And I wanted some of that joy. So I said, Ray, will you teach me some of the joy that you have? So we met for a year. And that was a great, if you know Ray, that was a power packed year. He took it seriously. Some guys I asked don't take it seriously. And so it's not a wasted year, but not what I would hope it to be. Um, so this year I want to be a better son. So I'm meeting with a longtime family friend. He's known me since this big and he can speak truth into me. I've asked business mentors to come in. I need to be a better businessman. Uh, spiritual guys, the, the top of the list for me was this guy named Walt Hendrickson. And he said, if, if I'm going to be mentoring you and teaching you over this year, we're going to go through the book of Romans. And I don't say this in a prideful way, but as in a challenging way. He said, if you're going to be with me, you have to spend 20 hours studying the chapter and you have to memorize the chapter. That was double black diamond for me. Like, what? <laughs> and we went through, I can't recite it now, but back then I could. We went up through chapter 13 until I moved away. And that impacted me more than anything else. I've, my faith was solidified going through Romans. I know why I need to be saved and how I am saved. Every detail of that after going through Romans in that way. I'm not saying you have to memorize chapters of the Bible, but you get my idea. That you want to be, have a mentor above you or next to you, with you, that's challenging you to go down those really starry, steep slopes to help you grow faster. If you're by yourself, this is just for me, if I'm left on my own, my growth is like this. But when I'm challenged, I, when I, I meet with my guys, I let them into all the junk of my life. How things are going with my marriage, how I'm failing as a father, how the business is going, all of that. And they get into all that and they speak truth. They have license to speak truth into my life and push me faster toward the image of Jesus. Are you with me? Do we want to be in the image of Jesus? For sure. How fast do we want to get there? At a slow pace? Or do we want to get there really quickly? Right? Okay. Let's uh, wrap up here. We've got a few minutes. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. What's missing? He wants to get rid of this. Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff, that's not what he asked him to do, toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning and flashed to the ground. So the Lord did what he said. For the sake of time, I'm going to fast forward. And the next one, locust. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt. So the locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields and everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff. He's not there yet, is he? Darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand, Moses, toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand. Another cheer for Moses. Come on, man. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. Man, you can, now he's blue squares, right? He's just gone up, maybe to double blacks. I don't know. Uh, so no one could see anything. And this is the firstborn. This one's this really, they're all sad, but this one. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh in Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. 
And then when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that the men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's official and by the people. Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of a female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Even worse, there will be even uh, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark and any person or animal, then you will know that the Lord has made a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Uh, what did I miss? All these, uh, yours will come to me bowing, did I miss one? All these officials of yours will come bowing down to me before saying, and then go and all the people who follow you, after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, does that sound familiar? What did, what did the Lord do in the beginning? He burned with anger, right? Moses, I keep telling you to do this and you won't do it. And it said, God burned with anger. Why aren't you doing this? And suddenly Moses has come full circle. Moses keeps telling Pharaoh and Pharaoh's not obeying. Now Moses is burning with anger, right? He's coming around. He's maturing. I think he's getting into double black diamonds. Uh... And so Moses answered the people, stand firm, and that's what's going to happen. Oh, this is, so this is parting the Red Sea. Moses answered the people, the Pharaoh's army is coming, the, the Red Sea is there, they're stuck. And what does Moses say? He answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. Is that the same guy from chapter 3? The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That is double black diamonds, right? He is really mature in the Lord in just a few chapters. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong each wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. Moses was mentored, discipled by Aaron. Moses caught the picture. So he discipled this guy named Joshua. He let him come in and watch when he's in the temple or in the tabernacle. Let him come along. And Joshua learned just as Moses learned from Aaron. Right? And what happened? After the death of Moses, and servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Does, does Joshua do the same thing? After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked, who of us is going to go up to fight against the Canaanites? Joshua didn't do it. He didn't continue the chain. He didn't bring a, somebody along with him. And Israel plummeted after that. Does that make sense? So let's get back to our, this is, we'll close with this. Make sure I'm not missing it. I don't have many notes. <laughs> So uh, make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, let's back to water from the rock. Um, so that old way of skiing from the very beginning, right? Clev got me like this. Would I ever go back to that old, fancy, unstable way of skiing that I wouldn't, couldn't take me on stable terrain, unstable terrain? 
I would never go back to that. I, I raced for many years. I taught for five or six years after that. I became a great skier. I don't say that in a prideful way, but just I became really good. But I would never in my right mind go back to that pretty way of skiing that doesn't take me well down the mountain. And in the same way, Moses knows exactly what he's doing. When God says, speak to the rock, I think Moses knows exactly what he's doing. He is, he is regressing. He is taking glory that is due God and bringing it to himself when he strikes that rock. This staff represents the things in our lives that deflect glory from God. We are put on here on this earth to generate glory to God. Everything should be coming right through us up into heaven. Does that happen? No, because we are poor filters, aren't we? It comes here, you know, 10 rays of glory, however that works, and one ray goes up because of all the sin and rebellion that is inside of us. We want to be great conduits of God's glory to here, but our staves, the things that we hang on to, whether that's your intelligence or your wealth or your beauty or your whatever it is, keeps God's glory from coming straight up to him. All right? Um, and if we want to generate, as if you are a mentor or somebody's mentoring you, that would be a good thing to think about. When you're mentoring me, will you help me? Ray, will you give me some more joy? Walt, will you help me understand the Bible better? Um, um, Macedo, would you help me in my business? Whatever, whoever that is for you, would you help me be good at this thing, but also help me to be a good conduit of glory to God? We only have one life, my friends. Just one. We don't get a rewind. We don't get a pause. We don't get a, you know, jump in the time machine and go back 10 years. We only have one life. And it goes so fast. Eli was five just not too long ago. And now he's 15. That's 10 years just like that. We only have one life. And let's do it well. Let's run the race well. Can we do that? What area in your life right now needs massive change? Don't wait a week to do this. Do this today. What area in my life needs massive change and who do I see that has that quality? And you pin that person down and you say, will you meet with me for a month, for six months, for a year, whatever that is for you. And God will get a hockey stick of growth for you and more glory will go to God. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we just pray for glory. We want, we want to be great conduits of your glory, but man, we get so clogged up with our own stuff, our own hurts, our own wounds, our own history, what people have said to us, what people have said over us. We are bad conduits of your glory, but we want to be great ones. Lord, I pray against pride right now. I pray that people would set aside their pride and humbly come before you and say, I want to fix this area of my life, be that addiction or a marriage or a business or whatever it is, that they would come humbly before you, Lord, and you would transform us to be in the likeness of your son, Jesus. Amen.